Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Do you remember the first time you failed at something, peers? I do. And it felt terrible. Since failing feels so bad, we start to believe it's a bad thing and that it's the absolute worst thing that could happen when it comes to business. But for a lot of successful entrepreneurs, failing actually turns out to be pretty good. Our guest this week, Jada McLean, is no stranger to failure. In fact, her first go at entrepreneurship wasn't successful. But from the ashes of that Blackfire, Rose Ethically, a personalized product recommendation assistant that helps conscious consumers find ethical brands and shop more sustainably. Jada joins the podcast today to chat about how she took the leap of faith from investment banker to full-time entrepreneur, how to rediscover your confidence after failure, and how your inner child is the key to finding what sets your soul on fire. Before we dive in, I want to remind you to please share this episode, peers. Take a screenshot right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that together we can share today's message and conversation with our peers out there who may just need to hear it. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome, Jada. Jada, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm super excited as well. Amazing. So, you know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the incredible work you're doing as a social entrepreneur, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you. I feel like it's so much fun always sharing the story just to make sure that people realize that it's actually way more accessible than you think it is. Absolutely. So for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah, definitely. I've had an interesting path to entrepreneurship. I actually went to school and studied civil and environmental engineering and then quickly found investment banking. And my mom still to this day has no idea what that means. Like I come from an immigrant family. So it's like, she just knows like, oh, you had a good job. Amazing. But she doesn't know what it actually means. So I went into banking and I say this like corny, corny line. It's like between late nights and spreadsheets, I demystified the career of an entrepreneur. So it was in the act of working with entrepreneurs that were like working on their passion projects that I looked at them and was like, you know what? I can do that too. I just need to figure out how to get started. So I worked in banking for a couple of years and then jumped into entrepreneurship. And my first go around was with my company called Hurry Home, which was a fintech that aimed to help families essentially earn their way to homeownership. And really, really awesome experience. You know, I say I got my toes wet with entrepreneurship and with startups. And then I moved on to build another company, which is called Ethically. But the only, I guess, consistent thread between both of them is the fact that it's all social impact. And because that's the only thing that sets my soul on fire. That's kind of the quick rundown of how I got from banking to entrepreneurship. I love that. And I can't wait to dive deeper into your ventures and how you made that transition. Before I do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah. So I grew up in Los Angeles, California to two fully Jamaican parents. So I was the first person in my family born in the United States. And the community, mind you, I grew up in is full Jamaican. I do think I would agree with you. It's a very telling characteristic of where you grew up. What was that like? You know, first person in your family to be born in the U.S., you know, fully Jamaican parents, family, grandma, everyone, you know, how do you think that shaped you growing up and kind of trying to find your feet and figure out who you are? It was really interesting, I'd say. Honestly, when I look back on it, it's helped me really get to where I am and be able to, I'd say, sometimes chameleon or even relate to people. Because I think growing up, my household and my immediate community was full Jamaican. But yet I was not necessarily considered full Jamaican because I wasn't born in Jamaica. Like when I went to Jamaica, they'd still call me a Yankee, which, you know, it's a Yankee from America. But then I'd go to school and I wasn't quite all the way Black American because I didn't really relate to any of the culture, right? It was very different than my Jamaican culture. So I felt like growing up, I always lived in this like in-between. And because I lived in the in-between, it forced me to seek out other similarities and commonalities with people beyond their nationality. It was like, how can we relate? And I think that that has continued through all my paths, and which is why most of my friends now are like all international and why it's probably so easy for me to hop in and out of the groups. I think it's so, so interesting. And I always love asking these questions because they're so telling as to like who we are and how we show up even today. These days, when you're trying to even navigate through the world of entrepreneurship or the world of business and your team and all the things, how do you think that that shows up in terms of 
feeling like you can embrace kind of anyone and perhaps even making other people feel really comfortable to be around you and to be their true selves. Has that shown up for you recently, perhaps in business? I think it shows up every day, right? I mean, when you're an entrepreneur, you are trying to figure out who's willing to pay for your product, who values your product, who's going to be a champion for your product. And that champion actually may not look like you. They share the same problem, right? They may not actually solve it the same way you would have solved it. You have to really dig and figure out how are we relating and how are we making people comfortable enough to really tell us what their problems are and help us help them basically. And the same thing with your team, right? Your team, you have to get them comfortable enough to share with you and share like how they're feeling and their challenges and their blockers and and all that good stuff. You brought up a really interesting point around you never felt like you truly fit in to either one. You know, like back in Jamaica, you were like, oh, I'm not fully, you know, Jamaican or I'm the Yankee. And then at school in the US, you were like, oh, well, I don't really fit into that Black American, quote unquote, traditional vibe. If we take us back to Jada, the early years where you were still navigating and sitting in that in between, how did you navigate through that? And for our peers out there listening, who feel like they're in that in between. We feel like maybe that we just don't really fit in. Maybe it's in the context of like a job versus business, you know, and we're kind of treading the line between our side hustle and the corporate world, perhaps, you know, what advice would you give to us around being able to navigate that kind of situation? I feel like as a child or even as a teen, I spent a lot of time trying to fit in and trying to fit into all these different molds. And then I'd say it probably wasn't until college and banking, I started to realize that I should lean into who I think I am and who I want to be. And the ones that are for you will show up and the ones that aren't for you will kind of fall to the wayside or they'll find their own people that fits with them. It does take some courage, I'd say, but it's amazing the doors that open that you didn't even know existed, basically. So I would just say lean in, lean in to who you want to be, how you want to live your life. And ultimately, you'll find your way. I mean, it may not happen today, tomorrow, next year, but you'll find it. What was the first store that opened for you? I quit banking. Didn't necessarily have a, I was making great money as a you know young, young professional. Didn't necessarily have another income right away. So I was living off of my savings. And... I spent kind of like the next eight months just knocking, meeting people, talking to people, putting myself out there. And oddly enough, someone from my alma mater, he reached out with a very random opportunity. And he said, oh, Jada, there's this think tank in South Bend, Indiana. So the middle of the United States, which I'd never been to in my life. And he's like, you know, maybe this is something that's interesting to you. And he sends it and I talked to the person there. And it turns out to be this think tank that's about creating products that keeping people out of the traditional financial system. So financial inclusion, inspiring financial inclusion. And that just felt awesome. And then three weeks later, I found myself moving to South Bend, Indiana to build my first company. It was just wild. Oh my goodness. I love that. It's almost like you don't know what is behind that next door or in that next chapter for you until you just 
keep trotting along, but it's tough. You know, I can only imagine for you, beautiful salary, super beautiful. And then you're going into like eight months of like living off your savings, watching everyone else, you know, continue to climb that ladder and make that money. How did you navigate through that in between time before you figured out what your next step was going to be? And for our peers out there listening who maybe are super scared about that in between time to quit that job, what would you say to us about navigating through that? It's super tough. It's super tough to close one door and like be in a dark hallway, right? And not really know where you're going next. And I could have done a little bit of a better job of doing this, be a little bit more calculated. So I think if I were talking to myself back then, or somehow I've transported myself to talk to myself to that time, I would say, okay, you did a great job of saving money. Now what you should do is try to still do moonlighting. Like I know it's really tough, you know, with banker's hours, going home in the nighttime and working on something else, but try to moonlight a little bit longer, just till the point where you knew that you got a first customer or you at least have some kind of peace of mind that you can start to make a little bit of money. Because for me, it was a lot of anxiety around the, all my savings is kind of dwindling. What am I going to do next? So I'd say just calculate it a little bit more. Such valuable advice. So you move to the middle of the United States and you are taking the leap what was that next step? What did that look like for you? And how did you get comfortable with perhaps knowing that maybe this is going to work? Maybe it's not. Yeah, that part is also hard. (laughs) It's all really hard. (laughs) I guess ultimately, let's just say you have to start the foundation of I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure it out. One way or another, it's going to happen. But yeah, I moved to the Midwest and You're right. I didn't know if this was going to happen, but I knew that I now just bought myself six more months of doing research and figuring out what's really going to set my soul on fire. And I think I just threw myself into it. You kind of just throw yourself into it. I mean, ultimately, if you meet enough people, you'll find something. And I lent on a lot of my university network. Alumni are so easy to get in touch with. They just like love talking to recent college grads, love talking to people that are from their same university. So I spent a lot of time. I think some days I was meeting up to having eight meetings plus just talking to people about my ideas, about the problem I was looking into, just connecting, really. How can we find our people when we feel like everyone that's currently around us is just not on that same path or that we want to move away from kind of that more traditional path and those people that are associated with that? For me, it was placing myself into these startup networks or entrepreneurship networks were completely different than the community I was in because I was in the very traditional banker community. A lot of my friends are still in those communities, so they don't really get it. It's a very, very different lifestyle. But you really just have to put yourself out there. And I think really for affinity groups, it's quite easy to get integrated because now there's like Slack channels, like you can do Slack channels, you can do like coffee chats and all these other things. And it doesn't really happen right away, but it happens, I would say less than a year. And then that six month mark, you start to feel like you have maybe one or two people that can be your sounding board or one or two people that you can just 
tell them about all your problems and you can just vomit on them basically, you know, like you end up start finding your little gems here and there. But yeah, it does take some conviction that you can do it and the work will pay off in one way or another. May it be with the project you're currently working on, or maybe it'll evolve into something else you can be very passionate about. How did your quote unquote project evolve throughout the years? They evolve so quickly. I'm very much so a person that's focused on data. So I really try to follow how the data is coming in. May that be usage data, customer data, whatever it is. And so if the data is telling me one thing, but I like had this initial idea about what it should be, I am going to follow the data instead. So I think... For my current venture, you know, we knew that people want to buy better products, products that don't harm the environment as much, but we didn't know the medium through which they want to do that. Would that be happening through desktop while they're shopping on Amazon? Or would that happen in store? Or what are the different channels? So we said, let's just take a shot in the dark, build something. And then it ended up turning out that we didn't work. So we now have to change to another medium. And for me, that's not really a failure. I mean, I guess it is a failure, but I don't really put a lot of emphasis on not failing. How can we get comfortable with failure? Because, oh my goodness, I fail so much about this journey and I continue to fail like literally every week. (laughs) How can we get comfortable with failure when we've been conditioned throughout our studies, through the corporate world, with our parents, that it's almost not a good thing? Getting comfortable with failing is really hard. I mean, I thought I was very comfortable with failing. And then my first company failed. And for six months, it was like I was a zombie. I didn't want to get out of bed. It was just very terrible. And then you start talking down to yourself. You're like, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. And I guess for me, it was actually realizing these are all the things that I did do. And I like made a list of all the different accomplishments, actually. And then I was able to face those accomplishments and realize, okay, while I didn't get to the top of the mountain with this experience, I did do a lot of incredible things and I still have energy. So that means I can do it again. So for me, it was realizing I did accomplish a lot. I do want to accomplish more. And I have the energy to do it. So let's just keep failing. And the faster I fail, the faster I'll find a solution. I love that. I think that's just such valuable advice. And I think sometimes when we're sitting there and we can't get out of bed and we know we've failed, we don't want to face the world. I think that strategy is just so, so helpful. And it's so tough to get back up. What made you get back up after that first fail venture? Two things. One, I spoke to one of my investors and told her, you know, I failed and I was feeling terrible about myself. And then she like talked about me from her perspective and she was like, Jada, you've done so much in the past year and a half. And hearing her as someone that has invested and now has lost her money in my first company, it hit somewhere. It kind of opened the box for me to say, oh, you're not a failure. You just failed at this particular thing. And also this particular thing, as someone once told me about startups is they're very fickle and you often need the surfer, the surfboard and the wave. And if you're lacking either of them, 
you won't get the ride to shore, right? You won't get a good ride. And so there's only part of that. So that's my fault. If I did my very best, then there's not really much more I can do. I have to make sure I have the right timing, make sure I have the right product and all these other elements. So I'd say that investor really helped. And when I started thinking about what I wanted to do next, the only thing I could come up with was other problems I wanted to build and explore. So for me, it ended up being, okay, I failed in doing this, but the job of a startup founder is equally for me, the best and the worst job at the same time. So here I am doing it again. Here we are doing it again. It's so funny. I think even if you haven't closed down a venture or, you know, moved on to a completely new one, I feel like there are so many iterations of every business, at least in my business, you know, that I've gone through over the last five years where you almost have closed a chapter and you're rebirthing the company, even though it's like, well, no, it's still going, you know, and in so many ways, I think exactly what you said, those micro failures, all those massive failures, they help us to level up and the quicker we can get through them the quicker we can get to solving that problem that we want to solve and having that product to market fit or whatever it may be. Where did the idea for your current business ethically come about? I think I saw that you started it in early 2021. Where did that come about for you? And what were those first few steps that you took to get it off the ground? It came out of 2020, actually. So 2020, I'm back in California In San Francisco, we have red skies because of the fires and it's bleeding into LA. It's quite apocalyptic. And I grew up with fires, you know, I grew up in LA, but this was just another level. And then we also had the racial reckoning happening in the street. And, you know, I was already feeling pretty helpless, lost, just not really sure what to do or how to best apply my skills to help the situation. And then I think all of a sudden I started seeing corporations, organizations make commitments, may that be to BLM, you know, X million dollars or to net zero or whatever it is. And I feel like the banker brain in me was a little cynical. So I took a step back and thought, at what point will these companies actually stand by their commitments? And the answer that I came up with was when it becomes their fiduciary responsibility to do so. And so essentially I set out to build a company that would show the brands that consumers are actually spending money on these products that are really better for the environment. So let's demonstrate a tie between consumer spend and good products or non-harmful products for people or the planet. And I think that what would happen is we'll elevate these amazing brands that are addressing these tough problems and we'll leave the other brands behind. And I guess how we started, I mean, I always start by validating. I have to validate a problem. So ask a bunch of friends, a bunch of people in your circle, what do you currently buy? Have you been making switches because of the racial reckoning, because of how close the climate crisis is? And I got answers that were yes and answers that were, oh, that'd be super cool if I could easily find products that resonated with my specific values. They often say that money is the byproduct of creating something that solves people's problems. And I think that resonates so much. You know, I think when you go into how can I solve this? Does that align with what I'm passionate about? Or does that set my soul on fire? Then naturally, 
after all the effort or the hard work, you will get there. For our peers out there listening who might be thinking, you know what, Jada, that's awesome that you know what sets your soul on fire, but I actually have no idea and I've been trying to figure it out. You know, what advice would you give to us around figuring out what we actually care about, getting clear on what those values are and kind of trying at least to align that with what we're doing work-wise? There's definitely some strategies out there and I've kind of worked through plenty of them. Think back to the activities that you enjoyed doing when you were a child. What are those activities? And for me, it was, I used to help my godmom with like her interior design projects. Like I love that. And I obviously when a kid, I loved Legos and building and all these things. And it kind of just translates to what I do now, which is building. I may not be building buildings, but I'm building products and services that serve people. And then I'd also say that my mom would tell you that I was also the most helpful kid growing up because I enjoyed enjoyed seeing other people have a great time when they're at our house, like hosting, like even at a young age. So your inner child knows. You just have to figure out what were those things you really enjoyed as a child and yeah, and see how they can translate to your adult life. Oh my goodness, Jada. It has been so, so interesting and so cool to chat with you about your journey. I have a couple of final questions for you. And the first one is, I know we've touched on this before, but it's got a little twist to the question. What has been your greatest failure and win to date? My greatest failure at the time, it was my first company because it completely derailed my confidence. It felt like I was rebuilding myself after that. I really had to untie my identity as the founder of that company from Jada as Jada, right? As just a person that loves to build. So I'd say that was a really transformative failure. My biggest win, I would say, is actually beginning of 2022, I wrote down three pretty big goals in my journal. And by the end of the year, I completed two of the three, which was not so much the goals that really mattered. It was the fact that I said I wanted to complete these goals and I kept them in the forefront and nothing, you know, materially changed in my life to where the goals needed to be adjusted, but I completed them. That was probably the most proud I've ever felt in my life. So yeah, I think that was probably it. Amazing. What were those goals? So the first one was Forbes 30 under, which I got. And then the second one was raising more than a million dollars from venture capitalists, which I don't know if you know the stats, but it's like less than 200 black women have ever done it. So it was super cool. So awesome. Yes, I love it. And you so deserve those wins. It is such a gut-wrenching journey. So honestly, hats off to you. Amazing, Dana. Look, over the last five years of your entrepreneurial journey, you've really gone from strength to strength. You know, you've received a lot of recognition for your work in amongst all the learnings and all of the growth. And most recently, as you mentioned, you were featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, which is actually how we found you. What are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? One I've already mentioned, which is lean into you. Lean into who you are, what you love, your flaws, everything. Just lean into it because I feel like people just recognize that authenticity. Number two, 
definitely calculate. (laughs) Take very calculated risks. Take the risks, but calculate them. Make sure that, you know, you have three more months of financial runway than you think you need. And then the third one I'd say is find people in your network that you think are completely out of reach, that will not talk to you and reach out to them. That rejection will humble you, but you'll also get some very surprising responses and you may land yourself an amazing mentor that will go to bat for you and be a cheerleader in those darkest days. Such great advice. Look, Jada, before I ask you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing for showing us, you know, in particularly us passionate, ambitious women of color, that if we have that vision, that goal and that dream to build something, even though we may go through so many different iterations and failures along the way, we can get there. And for that, we really appreciate you. No, thank you. I mean, thank you for having me on and reaching out. I love doing this and I love to make myself available for anyone else thinking about it because I do think it's important for us to occupy these spaces and for us to mentor and serve as not only cheerleaders, investors, but everything anyone could possibly need. I love it. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? The value of pursuing something you're most passionate about is... You know, I never get this FOMO feeling. Although there's many ups and downs, right? It's a roller coaster. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. There's days I don't want to get up, days I don't want to work. But I never feel like I'm missing out on something. It's odd to say that probably because it is such a tumultuous journey. But you just feel content that you're feeding your soul each day. Ah! Jada, it has been so awesome. That was so well said. What a way to close today's episode. Thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, and your knowledge that you've shared. Where can we learn more about you and Ethically? I'm happy to connect. So it's Jada at joinethically.com. You can also check us out at joinethically.com. You can download our app. It's in the App Store. We'll appreciate it. Love feedback. And then I'm definitely on socials as Jada McLean. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again, Jada. It's been so awesome. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion 
and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepierceproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepierceproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>